here it is. So Mr. Bad Mr. Babic was born in Maribor in Slovenia. He studied international relations in Vienna. And when he graduated from international relations in Vienna, he came to IWP to study yet another perspective. We approve of this um, approach, which shows that he is a very inquisitive person and he wants to know uh, what it is all about. So uh, from him, we're going to hear about the European Union's democracy from above, how the structures of the European Union were changing over time, just as the basic notions of the European Union. Mr. Babic. Uh, first and foremost, very thank you much that uh, I'm able to speak here today. Um, so I'll be talking about EU's democracy from above, uh, which is also, thank you. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, so this is also the title of my honors thesis here at uh, IWP. Um, I would also like to ask you to please keep in mind that the European Union is pursuing uh, first, in the first step, a European government and in the second step, a world government. So they are really supranationalist. But first, I would like to talk about uh, Europe's physical geography. So everything that's here in light green and dark green is Europe. It's actually easy to define Europe to the north, uh, where the Arctic Ocean is the uh, border. To the south, it is the Mediterranean Sea, and to the west, it is the Atlantic Ocean. It is a little bit more hard to the east, uh, but when we talk about how to define it to the east, it's mostly uh, the divides of the Ural and the Caucasus Mountains, uh, the Ural River and Caspian, the Black Sea, and the Turkish Straits are then exactly uh, the borders to the east. Uh, for Europe, it was also, uh, in for the development of Europe, uh, it was also important uh, how the climate, the fauna, mountains, valleys uh, developed. Um, because it was, in the past, it was much easier to be agriculturally productive uh, in modern day France than it was in modern day uh, Russia, for example. But on the other hand, it was much easier to protect yourself in Russia because of the cold winters, the snow and in states where there was a lot of uh, mountains. At the beginning, Europe was, uh, it actually gave opportunity uh, to people in Europe, but also obstacles. And obstacles were, as I already said, mountains, valleys, uh, big water uh, masses. And, uh, but on the other hand, the fertile soil uh, gave a lot of opportunity. So to really to understand Europe, uh, we first have to talk about ancient Greece and ancient Rome, how they developed and how they actually influenced Europe to be uh, what we know it today, how it influenced culturally uh, and religiously. Uh, so Greece and Rome gave Europe the fundamental substance of culture and religion. Um, Greek contributions were the um, religion. Uh, why religion? Because the Greek religion was still around when Christianity took over in uh, Rome. 
Uh, and that means that um, Greek meets, uh, mites and cults were still around and absorbed by uh, Christianity. Philosophy, most important f uh, in philosophy was uh, moral philosophy. And in summary about phil uh, Greek philosophy and the contribution to the Western uh, philosophy is actually Western philosophy. So Greek philosophy is the Western philosophy that we know today. Uh, Rome's contribution to the Western civilization. Uh, first, there were stone-built roads which linked the provinces with Rome and military garrisons. Why is that important? Important because we can here draw a modern parallel with Mahan, uh, who talked about uh, the sea lines of communication, how they're important for uh, to conquer the world, to for trade, for uh, military uh, protection, for military attacks, and this is actually the modern time, uh, the ancient time uh, sea lines of communication. Of course, law and administration is another point that was given to us by uh, the Romans. And of the greatest importance is the development of Roman law, uh, where the Stoic, uh, and the Stoic doctrine of the universal law. Here, uh, especially, is from where our natural law drives from, is what Cicero said, is that right um, reason in agreement with nature. So natural. Um, Pardon me, the universal law is the right reason in agreement with nature, and uh, it is of universal application, unchangeable and everlasting. Uh, of course, military organization engineering played uh, a major part. But in the end, it was Christianity uh, that influenced, uh, influenced with the Greek and Roman religion spread into Europe. Uh, the birth of Europe started with the migration and settlement, and why is this migration and settlement important? Because this migration and settlement had strong effect of, uh, on the ethnic and linguistic development of Europe. But there was also Islam who paid a very important, or who played a very important uh, role in uh, development of Europe. Uh, it started with the Umayyad conquest of Hispan uh, Hispania. Uh, that happened, that started in the 8th century. Then, of course, the conquest of the South Slavic countries, uh, where South Slavic countries also today, Bosnia and Herzegovina is uh, Muslim. Uh, and the, the Ottoman Empire was the empire who had most influence or more tried to conquer uh, Europe the most and to extend the period of time from the 13th century till uh, the end of the First uh, World War. Uh, the transfer of Jerusalem uh, from Christianity to Islam was also an event that paid enormous uh, consequence because Christianity uh, shifted dramatically uh, westward to Rome and became the center of uh, Christian gravity. Uh, Islam's legacy in Europe uh, is, as I already said, enormous, but we can see it in philosophy, in uh, astronomy, mathematics, physics. Uh, but what is also important is that uh, Islamic knowledge uh, of astrology helped Christopher Columbus to um, discover the new world already in 1492. Uh, 1492. Otherwise, it would probably happen later. <coughs> uh, 
Uh, the next step that religion played in the development of Europe uh, was constitution uh, institution building. Um, the beginning of the Middle Ages uh, can be also characterized as the beginning of Western culture. Uh, the Christian Church carried out the tradition of the Roman Empire and gave primitive Europe a uh, unified tradition of spiritual culture. The monastery was the most typical cultural institution throughout the whole period uh, that extended in the decline of the classical civilization and then uh, to the rise of the European universities in the 12th century. Uh, it was only by the church, in particular by the monks, that uh, preserved the classical authors um, that were otherwise probably swapped away by the barbarians. The situation in the East was a little bit different because the Byzantine Empire maintained its cultural and religious leadership. Um, very important for the development of the Slavs uh, were Kirill and Methodius. Uh, the two brothers were sent by the Byzantine Empire into Europe to bring back or to reunite the Slavs with uh, the Byzantine Empire. Um, where the brothers worked together uh, or where uh, Kirill worked alone, those countries are uh, today orthodox and have the Kir uh, Kyrillic alphabet, like for example the uh, Serbia or Russia. On the other hand, Methodius. Uh, especially after he was influenced by uh, Rome, when he studied in Rome, uh, brought to other Slavic countries the Latin alphabet and uh, the Catholic, uh, um, Catholic Christianity. Uh, that's why a lot of times people think that Slavic countries are uh, identical or are the same of, or have a lot of uh, similarities. But the problem, or the difference actually, is that countries like uh, Slovenia, Poland, Czech Republic have much more in common with Italy or Spain or France than they do with Russia or uh, Serbia. Uh, the reform of the, uh, of the church in the 11th century, uh, so it was not only that the sacking of the church by the barbarians was a serious threat, uh, but was even more, it was even more, it was the uh, internal disintegration uh, due to the exploration of the secularization of the church by the leader of the new uh, feudal society. Uh, a really important role in um, the development uh, of universities and the development of education played the medieval city, because the medieval city was a city where economy uh, started to thrive and uh, it was also that in the medieval city not um, pre so priests uh, stopped to educate but uh, and humanists came into place and started to uh, educate in uh, the students. Uh, the next very important point is uh, the Enlightenment thought in Europe that developed in the um, 17th and 18th century. And um, it gave Europe reason. So it gave uh, the importance of enlightenment. It gave Europe reason. Uh, it was concerned with God, uh, with reason, nature, and humanity. And the ultimate goals were freedom, knowledge, and happiness. Uh, 
So they also produced the first modern secularized theories of uh, psychology and ethics. The uh, liberty, virtue, and natural law played major roles. Uh, liberty actually meant the power to either choose or to refrain from choosing. Uh, and it meant that people uh, have sovereign authority in a state. Uh, without virtuous citizens, states were failing and democracy would be lost. Uh, and in the end, also natural law as the universal law of nature, it was the positive law of, of uh, universal for the people of all, uh, for the people of, uh, at all times. Uh, Montesquieu in this matter is also saying that um, in order to understate natural law, we actually must look um, how man was before he joined society, where he was actually um, trying to um, he was actually feeling his weakness, so he was more concentrated on self-preservation than uh, going into conflicts. So, uh, because I was talking about um, uh, Europe's uh, world government, or EU's world government, uh, here really Kant's essay on perpetual peace is very important because uh, we will see um, later in the presentation, it is also where uh, parallels now can be drawn what the European Union is doing. Uh, so for Kant, there were actually six uh, preliminary articles that is actually what we should do, uh, what we should not do in order to achieve peace. Um, I will not now go into detail for everyone, but just maybe for example, uh, the first one means uh, that there should be no treaty that uh, allows future war. An example of that is Versailles Treaty, because that actually meant only a ceasefire, but not peace. Um, also, under number three, standing, uh, standing armies shall in time be totally abolished. That means because if one country has a standing army, uh, it actually threatens another army, uh, another country. And that means that the other country also needs an army, and that ends in armament races. The three definitive articles is what must be in order to uh, secure peace. Uh, the first is uh, the civil uh, constitution of every state should, uh, should be republican. Uh, and it, uh, republican can be also changed today into uh, today's days with um, democratic. It means that people should uh, govern, because if people govern, then it's mostly unlikely that the state would go to war because people don't want to send themselves into war, whereby a so, uh, totalitarian or a single uh, person who governs is more likely to go to war because he's not uh, the one who's going to fight and who's going to die. Uh, the second definitive article is that the law of nations shall be founded on a federation of free states. That means in order to achieve uh, peace, states should give up authority and uh, should be, or should um, actually allow a higher authority to take their sovereignty because only that way a state, uh, or only that way a global peace can be achieved. Uh, the uh, third uh, definitive article is the law and world citizenship shall be limited to uh, conditions of universal hospitality. 
and it means that no matter who comes to your country, he should be ex uh, accepted. He should be uh, in universal hospitality. And that's exactly what can be seen in Merkel's um, migrant policy, where everybody was welcome at the migrant crisis. Uh, now I would also like to talk about examples of European unity, uh, because the European Union uh, is not the first attempt to make uh, union in Europe. Uh, probably the most important ones are the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire, or, oh yeah, I said that. Uh, Holy Roman Empire, it was a concept of unity and universality. Uh, it was a concept represented the traditions of the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church. Uh, the second one is the Hanseatic League, and uh, this is a very good example of European unity for trade purposes and common security, uh, especially to secure trade between uh, cities. Uh, the Polish-Lithuanian uh, Commonwealth is an example of European federalism. Uh, it was a dualistic state of Poland and Lithuania that was ruled by uh, a monarch. And uh, the state was a predecessor of, to modern concepts of uh, democracy, constitutional monarchy, and federalism. The last two examples uh, happened not that far ago. Uh, it was Nazism and communism. Uh, these two, are, these two are totalitarian regimes that tried to unify Europe or even the world. Uh, Nazism tried to do that with the superiority of the Aryan race, and communism with uh, the proletariat, with the government of the proletariat. Uh, the problem is, so, and both, because those were ideologies, and both, both um, denied religion, and this is, this, is, uh, this is only one reason, and the reason is because ideology uh, cannot have a competitor, because if they have a competitor, uh, it will not work. Uh, so the current uh, world order, the current world order is anarchic one, and that the only reason for that is because there is no authority above states. Uh, in order to escape war, what, um, two solutions uh, were proposed. The first one is common interest, uh, and, the, and the common interest does not determine state behavior. On the other hand, it's world government that must determine uh, state behavior. The European Union tries to do both. It actually started with a common interest, but now it's pursuing uh, European government in the first step and world government in the second step. EU and the human rights. So as I was already talk, uh, speaking before, the human rights are universal and valid for everybody at all times, no matter of local law uh, or any other changes. The U European Union is also helping to promote um, human rights. But the question in the European Union is what really, what human rights really are because the line between real human rights and human rights, how the European Union understands them, are a little bit different. 
in some cases. <laughs> so uh, there is a switch in Europe because um, from basically Judeo-Christian culture rooted in the tradition and truth to a secular culture characterized by relativism, novelty, and choice. Women's, children's, and LGBT rights are presented as human rights-like rights. Uh, they're based on the notion of the absolute autonomy of the individual. They're transformative and liberalist, like the global, uh, global governments itself. So they are, uh, they are redefining people as radic uh, radically autonomous individuals who can choose to change their uh, very nature. Because, uh, and that means that uh, in the, so for the EU, it is uh, to give human rights for the EU, it is to give um, the person the right for, uh, to individual choice. And why to individual choice? Because if you cannot change yourself, you cannot change what was in the past. And that's why what the European Union is trying to do for in the pursuit of the global, uh, global uh, govern, uh, government is to change the past, to change the, West, uh, the Western world tradition. Uh, the democracy from above. So the European Union is actually, uh, till now, we can say a 12-step process uh, that is developing from creating a common market to becoming a soft utopia. Why a soft utopia? A utopia because the goals are actually unachievable. Uh, soft utopia, it is uh, soft because there is no, uh, uh, no killing, no secret police uh, involved. Um, this 12, the 12 step I've listed, uh, I would just like to, uh, so the first, the first one is the European coal and um, steel community. And what we can see by number four already, it's only the wording when goes from, it had, before it had the economy in the title, now it's already only community. Uh, when we come to the Treaty of the European Union, the wording goes from com um, community to union. So they're trying to change what was in the past. So going from um, economic standpoint, so for common interest, to world government. Uh, examples of EU's democracy from above are the EU constitution, uh, Denmark and the Treaty of the European Union, Ireland in the Treaty of Nice, and Ireland in the Treaty of Lisbon. So when I just briefly talk about the EU Constitution, the EU Constitution, um, the European Union uh, started to build a European, so uh, actually European Union identity. The European Union identity was, they started to make an uh, anthem, they started to make license plate with uh, EU symbols. And this wanted to build a EU constitution. Uh, what happened is that uh, first French and the Dutch voted on accepting a EU constitution, they voted no. But, uh, and then actually the democracy from abroad, uh, above uh, had its, uh, its play because the US constitution was actually just changed and repacked as the Treaty of Lisbon and then it's passed. 
I want to go to the 3D of, uh, of Lisbon, what happened there. By the 3D of Lisbon, uh, the Irish voted against, against it. What happened? Uh, the European Union started to actually terrorize the Irish to change their opinion because otherwise uh, the economic miracle of uh, Ireland would be gone. They would stop uh, working with them, so the Irish started to be scared, uh, revote, and voted for uh, the Treaty of Lisbon. What are the consequences of the uh, democracy from above? It is really that member states uh, are losing national sovereignty. Uh, Europe is becoming post-Christian. Uh, uh, the EU is, because of its supranationalist character, allowing the suppression of free speech. Uh, when I'm talking of suppression of free speech, uh, there was an incident in 04 where a pastor was talk, uh, s actually saying that um, homosexuality is, uh, in the view of God, a sin. Uh, for that, he got convicted because the European Union said he spread hatred. But actually, <laughs> what he was doing is actually really talking uh, about uh, God, about what ha how the Christianity sees that, and that's actually free speech. That's actually the um, a human right. And of course, what else also happened is the migrant crisis uh, in Europe, where I already said Merkel's uh, policy that everybody's welcome. Conclusion, uh, I'll just say the European Union is a utopian idea, and uh, therefore religion cannot be a competitor, as it could not be in any other utopian idea, most recently in uh, Nazism and Communism. EU supranationalists do not deny Christianity only because of the utopian idea, but also because Christianity would have clearly defined uh, the roots of European identity, and that would destroy the idea of glob uh, global governance. Personal choice is more important than natural law, and the reason is that Christianity is here only an obstacle and therefore has to disappear. Humans have a need for faith, and the EU elites are trying to satisfy these uh, need by global governance, because global governance is faith, it doesn't center on the belief of God, uh, but it calls for a government that would uh, give salvation and peace to the people of uh, Europe. To help achieve a global government, the EU elites understand that for a structure in the international system, it is not a collection of international institutions, but how you position them, how you arrange them. Uh, the European Union is also trying to override domestic political structures in order to achieve world governments. Uh, the European Court of Justice ruled that European law is above national law. So if therefore the same matter, the national law is different than the European law, the European law applies. Uh, and at the end, world governments would end in uh, world civil war. Uh, why would it end in world civil war? Uh, the reason is actually simple, because to have autonomy, to centralize something, you have to put pressure or force uh, to any kind of uh, resistance. And if we have a global government, that means global civil war. Thank you.
comment. Uh, we work on uh, on the EU together. We have a, a little seminar, a directed study. So I, I'm not going to belabor every single point because we go back and forth and quarrel. But I just uh, I would like you to. Uh, appreciate one thing about the power of the EU. The EU attempts to develop something the bureaucrats in Brussels call European governance. Then they would like to project it onto global governance. They don't have the power and the EU is a, an exercise in new soft utopia uh, compliments of the American taxpayer because America provided a nuclear umbrella <laughs> during the Cold War and then it bankrolls a lot of that silliness and we've been quite supportive uh, toward European uh, integration since 1945 because the United States doesn't like another war so why not support Europe however that has this has now become a, an official reservation for various utopians and it uh, is potentially very dangerous. I'll just give you one example. Uh, Mr. Babich mentioned the uh, European Criminal Court. Uh, it is an institution which, in, which can sue anybody and bring anybody before its majesty. Just one example. Uh, an American retired CIA officer who participated in a number of operations, including extraordinary renditions in Italy, retired in Portugal because her mom is sick. So she moved to Portugal where her mother is and much of her family, she's of Portuguese extraction. Well, it was discovered that she resided in EU jurisdiction and the bureaucrats decided to make an example of her. It was a nightmare for her because she had ser uh, she certainly thought she not only served the United States but she was also protecting Europe from terrorism. Two weeks ago the nightmare ended. She was let off the hook as a gesture. Not, not as, a, as a legal precedent. They just said, okay, we'll cut you slot. Any American citizen accused of anything, for instance now, if you know a name of an American pilot or Navy personnel who participated in anything in Syria that Brussels and Strasbourg deem to be a war crime, snitch by all means. Any time that person goes on a vacation to Paris, he can be, or she, can be arrested any at any time and the United States has nothing to say this is a, a tremendous usurpation o oftentimes what Orsala gave us was definitions the definitions that EU has in particular about what is a crime what is human rights is extremely arbitrary I mean, for goodness sake, the constitution of the EU is the size of the Boston phone book. The one they rejected and then they accepted back again, rewritten or, I'm sorry, cut and pasted as the Lisbon Treaty. This is something really dangerous. Uh, Gillingham, John Gillingham, an American historian, a libertarian, 
had hopes that EU would be a free market territory. It, but now he says it's turned into a super state. Vladimir Bukowski, a member of our advisory board, a dissident who spent years in the gulag and in the psychiatric wards of Khrushchev and Brezhnev, calls it uh, the uh, Union of, uh, of European Soviet Socialist Republics. He thinks it's a totalitarian state in the making. It just lacks the secret police. But the temptation of power is such that it potentially can turn very dangerous to human freedom. Uh, Todd Huizinga has just published a fabulous book. And he said, well, look at this. This is self-totalitarianism, a new totalitarian temptation. And all of this boils down to first things that we like to belabor here and flog the dead horse, namely natural right. Do we have human dignity, every single one of us? If we say we do, it's not because some bureaucrat wrote it down in Brussels. It's because we believe that we are all children of God, no matter how we look, where we come from. With this gone, you'll have another secular utopia. No secret police yet, thank God. Anyway, so I'll leave the floor to Marianne. So we, we have time for three questions. Yes, lady here, who's first? Uh, of late, there were talk about the decline of liberal democracy in the liberal Now, given your talk, yeah. what is your opinion of European democracy? Let me call it on the Yeah. I call it democracy from above just because of the reason that there is no... It's only a democracy to a certain point because when democracy doesn't work, the European Union imposes laws by themselves. Uh, we can already an example. The only, the only elected institution in the European Union is the European Parliament. All the other institutions are not elected. Of course, there are people there that were elected in their uh, home countries. But the problem is, I, okay, I'm from Slovenia. I never elected an official from Germany, but he still decides what's going to be law in Slovenia. But the Germans didn't elect him either. Yes? There is a book about Europe without nations. The argument by a French intellectual. The argument is that you need self-government and grassroots democracy to run this project. And Brussels, Brussels doesn't like it because it's inefficient. Mm -hmm. Next question. Yes, gentlemen here. Do you think that the EU is empowering Russian political warfare propaganda? Mm -hmm. No, I I don't think so. At least not visibly, because. Uh, it is still that the nation states of European Union, the power they have, they're opposing uh, Russia to the highest amount. Uh, and also because most, most of the European states are also member, members of NATO, and they also are included in the NATO um, maneuvers now in the Baltic states. What I'm trying to say is, do you think that the cultural shifts that the EU is trying to promote yeah. empowers the Russian narrative that it is defending Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry, I'm misunderstood. Yes, yes, it does. Sure. Yes? Okay. Please don't come to ask a question. I just want to suggest as a correction. In one of the points you said that the, the Islam contributed 
the science, math, astronomy, yes. stuff. I think you got confused. It's, it's a typo, not Islam. Arabs, but Arabs as a Christian since the birth of the Christ in the 1600s were Christians, like the territory of Syria was a mm -hmm. Christian territory. And they contributed to this. Then since Islam invited you know, mm, over, I, so I really don't, it's, because, I'm writing a book about Islam. It's actually Central Asians with the fusion of Nestorian Christianity, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, and if you want to read one book, I'll give it to you. Yeah, but the no, question is, is, is there were no Arabs in the Syria. There were Syrians. Excuse exactly. me. There are five, five minutes left for questions. Yes, ma'am. Uh, question about uh, the euro. What do you see as the future of the euro because there is a lot of quote concern that a lot of the countries are going to withdraw Greece for example um, and from the euro which would be a major blow because a lot of the European Union is predicated on financial harmonization so do you see that as an opening towards starting to destabilize the this EU project okay. Euro is actually a special problem, I think, because, um, of course, you have very developed states in the European Union, and you have also, let's call them to other states, not underdeveloped, but less developed. And some of those states actually need the euro, because without the euro, that might, they might already be, they might already collapsed, because the economy wouldn't be strong enough. The euro is actually taking them out or uh, helping them uh, to develop. But in general, the euro, the euro is a problem because it's centralized in an institution, and uh, countries have no influence uh, on their economy. How to influence actually the euro, the monetary policy, because it's only one institution, and that's a problem that can bring a collapse of the euro in the European Union. Okay. No, there were also other countries because France, France was a big part of the development of Europe, but um, probably the where they actually draw. Uh, the concept of Europe was uh, also in Kant, as uh, I was saying before, uh, in a world government uh, without uh, religion, in a secular state. Are there any more questions? Excuse me. I just would like to say yeah. a fantastic research and very, very kindly. Thank you very much. They really have big problems with everything, economics, political stability, mm -hmm. safety, which you have in Sweden. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Where I can get the presentation? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, one last question. Why don't you... There's a good follow-up question. Right? Oh, no, I, let me remember. I'll give everybody a chance. 
I wondered if you had mentioned you. Uh, Athens and democracy as sort of like the beginnings of like European European concepts uh, of democracy. Uh, I didn't really I saw the portraits, but I couldn't say I saw anything on ancient Athens. Of course, the democracy came to an end uh, and lost the Peloponnesian War. And they actually voted for the war, perhaps in yeah. Europe. So there's a national assembly there in, in uh, Athens uh, in the vote for the Thessalonians. I mean, uh, also the democracy in, in, in Athens was a little bit different than the democracy we know it today. Uh, because today it is a representative democracy and in Greece it was direct democracy. And that also, we also have to consider that. So there is a, a bit difference in, in, in this matter, but of course, uh, as I was saying, the biggest problem I see in democracy in Europe is that they're, or actually in the European Union is, that they're going away from uh, the tradition and from the Judeo-Christian, uh, actually the Judeo-Christian tradition and culture uh, that's developed in those countries. Of course, everything had an influence. Uh, before, as I said, it was Islam, it was uh, religion, it was the myths, it was the cults. Uh, the Greek religion had many gods, and because all this combination, without the combination, we wouldn't be here as we are. So it's not like we cannot say it's one thing that helped or another thing. It was the combination of everything. So maybe I'll just ask about this one last comment. Maybe it's just a comment. Yeah. I agree. It was a wonderful, wonderful overview. Just one comment. Please. I think there was probably some reason in Europe before the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment did not give Europe reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, there was, there was. No, of course, of course, there was reason. That was maybe a little bit missed, but Enlightenment is secular, secular reason, yeah. This is what I didn't put in, but thank you, yeah. Secular reason, yeah. Excellent overview, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.